Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. There's a time when we all choose. Caitlin, join in. Come on, my dog just fell in a hole. Oh, um... Yeah, the next lyrics are this. You're fired from the Cheetah Girls. Oh, You're no. <laughs> We're supposed to be matching and we just know the words to the song. <laughs> welcome to the Bechtel cast. Yes, welcome. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> I do really like the Girl Power song. I, I I've know. been listening to it on purpose. You texted me about it two times. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Every song, I remember the one. Every song in this movie uh, is fun it's fun this is a this Mm -hmm. is a fun and complicated movie text expanded universe it's the cheetah girls episode of the bechdel cast uh for let's get some formalities out of the way my -hmm. name is uh jamie loftus my name is caitlin durante and this is our movie podcast where we take a look at your favorite movies using an intersectional feminist lens uh cheetah girls i believe is one of our most popular requests in the decom canon i would say specifically in the decom canon yes yes i mean if we're going subsections um so this episode has been a long time coming i am so thrilled i feel that we have really found the perfect guest here this this episode was originally going to be on our matreon because we were Mm -hmm. like let's just do every raven simone decom which turns out to be a more ambitious project than you would imagine it would be (laughs) That's going to have to be its own whole podcast. Exactly. I yeah, I'm just I'm just so thrilled it's finally Cheetah Girls Day on the Pod. It's been a long time coming. I'm completely ambivalent. And <laughs> but let's introduce that wonderful guest. Mm-hmm. Um she is a writer, actor, and co-host of the podcast Popcorn Book Club. It's Karama Dunkwa. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about the Cheetah Girls. I'm excited. Karama and I had a 2 a.m. discussion about Cheetah Girls. Yeah, it was intense. (laughs) 
it was intense. It was the like the best late night DM uh, result of all time. Yes, and no unsolicited <laughs> dick pics, so it just couldn't have ended any better. Oh, it's possible. It. It's possible. It happened. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm really excited to to talk about the Cheetah Girls Expanded Universe with you today. So uh, let's just get into it. Karama, what is your experience with the Cheetah Girls property in general? Books, movie, whatever it is. I'm so excited. Thank you for asking me that question because a lot of people don't even know that the Cheetah Girls was a book series originally. Uh, mm-hmm. started in the late 1990s. I think the first one came out in 1998. And there are over 10 books, and they were written by Deborah Gregory. Her name is spelled like Deborah, but it's pronounced Deborah, which is a thing that I know because I, and I was telling Caitlin this, uh, you don't know this, Jamie, but I met her in 2003, right before my 12th Whoa. birthday. I've just aged myself forever. Uh, and she gave me this signed <laughs> headshot where she is in cheetah print. I just found oh this yesterday in all of my God. stuff. So um, I can definitely scan this and get it for you if you want to make this a cool thing for the Matreon. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll put it on our Instagram. No big deal. Yeah. Her her Twitter handle is Mama Cheetahs. She's like, she's on brand. She's very stays on, on brand. brand. Love it. Yeah. So my experience with the Cheetah Girls property was being an avid reader of the book series. It was like my whole life. I used to, uh, quote unquote, work in a bookstore when I was 10, which is illegal because I was 10. But I (laughs) Uh used to like hang out there and they would like watch me and I would put prices on like eight books and say I did work. And then they would pay me in free Cheetah Girls books, which was like a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Other books Uh, as well. But the Cheetah Girls books were what I was really angling for. Sure. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the movie came out in the early 2000s, 2003, I believe. And Mm -hmm. I was psyched and stoked. And then I found the movie a little bit disappointing when I watched it as a fan of the books. It was my very first experience with whitewashing. So that was super Mm. cool because uh, that's the big, big difference for me in the books and the movies is that Dorinda is not a biracial woman of color as she was in the books. And we'll get more into that Mm -hmm. later and how my feelings on that have sort of progressed, especially because I do believe the uh, the girl who plays her is a white passing or white presenting Latinx person, um, which Mm -hmm. I think is very interesting and didn't know until I was an adult. And race is complicated. Yikes. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> but yeah, I love the books, love the movies, and I'm so excited to be here and talk about them. Yay. Oh, We're so you. excited to have okay. you here. Well, I'll go next because as with most, as with all DCOMs. Until we cover them on the show. Until we cover them on the show, I have never seen them um, because I grew up without cable. I did not have access to the Disney Channel much as a child and didn't know that DCOMs existed until like three years ago or something (laughs) or that they were called DCOMs. (laughs) So I uh, just hadn't seen this until a couple days ago. Uh, But I will say that now that we've been covering a few, since it's DCOM month on, it's DCOM July on our Matreon, Mm -hmm. I'm getting more into them. And I actually watched a DCOM not for homework. I saw a teen beach movie and I loved it. It's I my new favorite movie. Now. Is that a newer one? Yeah, I think it's from 2013 or 2015. It's Wait. within the past 10 years. Yeah, that's years, outside definitely. of my era of expertise. Like, if you got <laughs> Alley Cat Strike, I'm there. Oh, <laughs> Motocross. Same boy from Cheetah Girls. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, I'm 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 broadening my horizons. Is what I'm saying. Amazing. Um, Jamie, what's your relationship with Cheetah Girls? Pretty similar to Karama. I think I started li- reading the books maybe like in the year leading up to the movie. It was definitely before the movie because I remember my main memory with watching the movie for the first time was that I was the only girl at the sleepover that had been curated to watch this movie at uh, that had read some of the books. Mm. And I was really uh, upset that Angie wasn't there. That was what mainly jumped out to me, which we'll talk about. But basically, there are five cheetah girls in the books. Aquanet has a twin named Angie. And I she was my favorite character because she was really quiet. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. was like her, I don't know, she was like the quiet cheetah girl. And so I like felt connected to her because I was really shy. And then she was so quiet that they just wrote her out of the movie. <laughs> um, so I remember being really disappointed in that and my friends finding my disappointment annoying because I didn't know what I was talking about and then I enjoyed the movie I I definitely loved the songs I watched the second one I was too old for the third one and I hear it's really bad also Raven's Mm. not in the third one so what's the point truly what's the point not no shade to like Adrian Balon or Keely Williams or girl whose name I can't remember Sabrina something I think mm. um, dancing Sabrina with the stars Brian. girl yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like Raven was she was the cheetah girls she was girl power she was growl power she was cheetalicious and mm-hmm. I think taking her out really takes some wind out of the sails. Mm -hmm. I will also say this viewing, because I haven't seen this movie in at least 10 years of like revisiting it, even though the lyrics to the songs, I was like, oh my God, like they were just apparently imprinted on my memento style because I just knew them all. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I will say I was more on Galleria's side at certain parts of the Cheetah Girls this time than I ever was as a child. I'm like, she is, she has her flaws, certainly. The second act. There is a lot going on with her. Ooh. But in the end, she's the only cheetah girl with any focus. Anyways, I agreed with Galleria more than I was expecting to this time. And, you know, people change. <laughs> I agreed with Dorothea a lot more than I thought I would. Galleria's yeah. mom. I'm like, yeah, you know what? She's making sense. That's the thing about becoming an adult. You start agreeing with a lot of like movie with parents. The parent characters. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you are too young for this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I got annoyed with the dad of like, why does the dad always get to be the good guy in the situation? It's not fair. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a whole, there's so much to discuss, but I love the Cheetah Girls. They have a special place in my heart, uh, but it's a complicated adaptation job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, should we get into the recap and go from there? Yeah. I'm down. All right. The film opens on a performance by the Cheetah Girls. They are a girl group comprised of... Galleria, that's Raven Simone, mm-hmm. Chanel, played by Adrian Bailon, and then I think her Chigo now goes by Houghton is her last name, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Aqua is is her name Keely? Yes, Keely Williams. Mm-hmm. I have a lot to say about her. <laughs> Ooh, there is I I recently caught up because there was like Cheetah Girls drama while we were in quarantine, and I was clinging to it because I needed things to cling to. <laughs> Adrian and Keely, I guess mm-hmm. they did not get along. And yep. I don't know how much was related to Cheetah Girls and how much was related to 3LW, which mm-hmm. was the group mm-hmm. that they were in together. With that um, other girl. <laughs> with that other girl who, why wasn't she in the Cheetah Girls? Anyway. Shrug. Shrug. <laughs> <sighs> um, and then the fourth member of the Cheetah Girls in 
the movie adaptation is Dorinda, um, played by Sabrina Bryan. That's um, her name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they discuss whether or not they're ready for tomorrow's talent show audition at their magnet high school in New York City. Ever heard of it? Mm. And they are hoping to be the first freshmen to win because winning the talent show could open up some doors for them in their career. We learn that uh, Chanel and Galleria started the group, just the two of them, and they added the two other girls later on. This is relatively faithful to book canon minus yes. okay. a fifth member. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> we see Galleria at home and we meet her parents and her dog Toto whose presence in the story is going to pay off way more than you would ever imagine. <laughs> but Toto falls in a hole and that's the climax of the movie. I love when Toto's <laughs> in the hole and the, the the like fireman is like, sing faster, sing it's like, it's faster. Working. Faster, it's faster. It's working. Keep going. That guy really earned his SAG card that day. That was beautiful. <laughs> oh, good grief. So we meet Toto, the dog. Then we see Chanel at home and we meet her mother and establish their relationship. Both of these girls come from pretty upper class backgrounds. Um, and then we meet... Also faithful to the book, I will say. Okay, mm -hmm. good to know. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we see Dorinda. She is mopping the floors at a community center. We will come to learn that she is a foster child and comes from a lower socioeconomic background. And then we don't learn anything about Aqua's home life at all. Including <laughs> that she has a twin. That she has a twin sister. Twin. Who they just keep her stays locked at home. in the basement <laughs> in this particular iteration of the and Cheetah Girls canon. She... <laughs> what if it's like in um what's that Christopher Nolan movie? Um oh, no. The Prestige, where oh. like there's they're secret twins and you don't know that they're twins and they just keep swapping out. Yeah, we're really yeah. in the Christopher Nolan zone today. We're making memento, yeah, memento. jokes. Yeah. Oh sure. I'll bring up Inception by the end. Sure. Oh, you guys didn't know that Christopher Nolan actually wrote and directed this film? <laughs> <laughs> the Cheetah Girls. They're experimenting with time. <laughs> Um, okay, so then we see the Cheetah Girls at school, and we meet these two boys who um, are also competing in the talent show. I think their names are Derek and Mackerel. That sounds is right. That right. One is the boy from Alley Cat's Strike, which mm -hmm. I remember being thrilled by. And that's basically okay. all you need to know about him. I, I will say I'm disappointed that Eric Von Detten was not in this film because Eric Very Von true. Detten was the major export of Disney Channel in the <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s. We were trying to make Eric Von Detten happen so much. Wasn't he, wasn't his like final stand in The Princess Diaries and then it was just like, it's not going to happen for him. That was, I, I think, guess. his last... His last stand. I think that sounds mm. like the right era for him to have faded away. I hope he's doing okay. Hi, Eric. Uh, Eric. We miss you. We love you. He's a listener. Yeah. He's our fan. Who isn't? He's a matron. <laughs> um, and it's Derek has a crush on Galleria. Mm -hmm. Then they do their audition and we meet the teacher who is running the talent show. Her name is Drinka, um, played by Sandra Caldwell. Mm. And she tells them that they did a great job. And so does Jackal Johnson, who is a big time music producer. And he's got the outfit to prove it. Oh, he's he looks, wearing chains. He looks so early 2000s, like vague, sleazy, but also like 
hot, like coded is hot. But looking at him, I'm just like, there's no way anyone ever thought this was attractive. It's baffling <laughs> that he's coded as hot because it just who is like, oh, my God, Jackal Johnson. I wrote in my notes, Jackal Johnson wishes he was Matthew Lillard. He does. He, <gasps> he totally really does. does. That is it. That hits the nail on the head. Definitely they, big Matthew vibes. When Matthew Lillard <laughs> is sick, they call this guy <laughs> to show up. That's wild. I will say, just as an aside, and I don't know how many of these are canon like to the book, but they casually drop a lot of artist names in this movie, and they all made me laugh. There was Monique Twig, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was a fun one. <laughs> I think I caught Michelle Breeze. There was like Electric Breeze or Electric something. Electric Breeze? I was like, is this Michelle Branch? So here's a really funny fact about the books. I recently just, because I hadn't I hadn't read them in a while and like I can't find my copies. They are lost to the ages. Mm-hmm. I got them from my local like digital library. They have all of them with the, mm-hmm. in the LA public library system. Sure. And uh, there is... A group that's mentioned early on in the books called Karma's Children. And I'm like, this is Destiny's Child. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Deborah. Galleria is talking about how everybody says she looks like the lead singer of Karma's Children, Backstabba. And they all have like sort of vaguely sin based names. So it's like greed. And I'm just like, who, which one of these is supposed to be Kelly Rowland? That's all I want to know. <laughs> and there are four of them, which makes sense for the time that the book comes out because there were four Destiny's people in Destiny's Child at the time. Maybe right. it was, it was predictive because Destiny's Child eventually just mysteriously did away with one of their members yeah. without disappeared. Farah. Yes. <laughs> just like they, they went through a whole thing. There's a conspiracy here. <laughs> another thing ab- another thing about the book that I went to I like went to whatever the Amazon preview cuz I'm like oh I hope it's there. I vaguely remembered like the Cheetah Girls Pact that was at the Oh the Cheetah Girls of- Credo which I yes. have here and can read from. Oh yes, girl, yes, I yes, did yes. my homework. I love oh, it. Thank you. I always okay. oh, The Cheetah Girls Credo. This is from the first book. I think it's at the beginning of all the books, but this is from Wishing on a Star. Mm-hmm. Uh To earn my spots and rightful place in the world, I solemnly swear to honor and uphold the Cheetah Girls' oath. Cheetah Girls don't litter, they glitter. I will help my family, friends, and other Cheetah Girls whenever they need my love, support, or a really big hug. All Cheetah Girls are created equal, but we are not alike. We come in different sizes, shapes, and colors, and hail from different cultures. I will not judge others by the color of their spots, but by their character. A true cheetah girl doesn't spend more time doing her hair than her homework. Hair extensions may be career extensions, but talent and skills will pay my bills. (gasps) True cheetah girls can achieve without a weave or a wiggle jiggle or a giggle. I promise to rely mostly on my brains, heart, and courage to reach my cheetah-licious potential. I love mostly. Uh, That's about halfway through. It (laughs) talks about how grown-ups are not always right, but they are bigger, older, and louder. I will treat my teachers, parents, and people of authority with respect and expect them to do the same, which Mm. I really appreciate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like the true cheetah girls don't run with wolves or hang with hyenas. Mm -hmm. True cheetahs pick much better friends. It's just... I don't know. That really stuck with me as a kid. And I was like, oh, I wonder. And it's it's right there. There's no bullet points. There's just cheetah paw prints. <laughs> it is aesthetically on brand. It is amazingly 
progressive also just yeah. for the time like environmentalism right off the bat they don't litter they glitter although mm, number one <laughs> glitter is somewhat of a contentious thing in the environmentalism community <laughs> uh there are some environmental like biodegradable glitters and you should definitely look into those if you're a glitter person because we don't want to hurt the environment that's not mm-hmm. cheetalicious remember not. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not it was uh deborah is an inspiration um, and then there was also the glossaries in the back of the book, which mm-hmm. would just, if you didn't the know, slang. yeah, it was so good. It was like, if you didn't know what a cheetah girl was saying, you could look it up and be like, oh, she <laughs> oh was gosh. saying that's cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Duckets. That was the one that I recall learning yeah. at the time. And I was like, oh, okay. Buckets of ducats means like a lot of money. I am cool <laughs> now. <laughs> Which they use a lot of in the movie. They use a fair amount. I was was excited looking back and thinking, oh, okay, yeah, this is a lot. It is pretty, if not exactly directly faithful, it's got the spirit of the thing. Mm -hmm. You know? Ugh. I miss the glossary. And rereading that <laughs> Cheetah Girls credo going into rewatching the movie made me a little disappointed in myself at how upset I was about Dorinda's recasting. I was like, you know what? She is still a Cheetah Girl and we don't judge other people by the color of their spots, but by their character. And I mm. felt that Dorinda's character still lived on in Sabrina Bryan. And I would just like to formally apologize to Sabrina Bryan for all of the vitriol <laughs> that my 12 year old self had at your, like if anything bad happened to you in 2003, I'm so sorry for that energy. <laughs> <laughs> She's okay. She came in like fourth place in Dancing with the Stars. She's doing great. That is amazing. Oh, wow. That is more places than I got in Dancing with the yeah. Nobodies, the thing that I do in my bedroom by myself. Hey. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot that we could all learn from the Cheetah Girls credo. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of want to print it up and hang it in my house. I saved it as a PDF on my computer. I'm like, this is a thing that I need to remember. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in here that I can still benefit from as I move into my 30s. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, okay, so Jackal Jackal Johnson was at the audition, and he's this big-time music producer, and he wants to work with them, but Galleria's mom is there, Dorothea, and she thinks the girls are too young because they're only in ninth grade. They're freshmen, right? Mm-hmm. But after a lot of pleading with Galleria's mom, she changes her mind, and the Cheetah Girls are allowed to contact Jackal Johnson, so they set up a meeting with him at deaf duck records hilarious sort of the some of the i that was like one of those moments where i'm like oh fun art department assignment to be like okay we need a logo for deaf duck records like (laughs) that's fun homework and some might argue and by that i mean me that they did not try very hard or do a good job their budget was 14 (laughs) dollars caitlin what are they gonna do it was a valiant a effort. Duck. We understood that there was a duck involved. So for that, <laughs> I will commend them. It, it did not look like another creature. It looked like a duck. That's true. 100%. The semiotics was like working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did get into our first song also in that audition with Jackal Johnson, Cinderella. And which one is that? C- that's Cinderella. Cinderella. That, was my okay. fav- that was my favorite back in the day. Cinderella was like my top Cheetah Girls song. And it's still mm-hmm. really I still sing fun. that in the shower regularly. Uh, and like they're, they're very specific dances. And mm-hmm. like 
Oh, I just love I liked that DCOMs were pretty good about if there was dancing, it was usually dancing that like a kid could basically learn, which I think is a nice touch. Yes. It was like Darren's Dance Grooves Light. Right, right. You know, like do you guys remember Darren's Dance Grooves? Mm-hmm. mm No. Oh, Darren's Dance Grooves were like, that's all I wanted as a child was a Darren's Dance Grooves DVD. <laughs> so there was this guy named Darren. He had a last name. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, <laughs> and he used to choreograph for like Sync and Britney Spears. And he had this DVD that he would like pedal on television where you could learn these dances <laughs> that he taught Britney Spears and in sync alone in your home, which is the best way for people like me to dance. <laughs> sure. Darren Henson. Yeah, I remember my friend had the DVD and it was like, it really made her mom's condo a hot spot to visit because right. she had Darren's dance grooves. No, you all had those friends when you were little and there were things that you couldn't have or weren't allowed to have that you definitely used for their access. Like I had a cable friend. I didn't have cable in my house. So I'd be like, hey, how's it going? Let's hang out. Oh, my gosh. I want to come over to your house and see you and just watch Disney Channel. Yeah. I had a Mary Kate and Ashley VHS friend. <laughs> there was like she just oh, had yes, I remember this. She had them all. She had them yeah. all. And if you wanted to see one, you had to do it. Mm-hmm. Gotta and get she your was, daily fix great. of brother for sale. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so Cinderella mm-hmm. was the first performance, and Jackal sees that, and that's where he's like, I mm-hmm. need these children in my They're deaf stars. duck factory. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so they go to that meeting, and um, Jackal, he seems pretty sleazy, and Galleria's mom is trying to, like... I think the movie would have you think she's trying to interfere, but she's really just looking out for... She's making sure this weirdo isn't, like, abducting the cheetah girls. Right. (laughs) Also, Galleria had stepped in dog poop. The meeting is kind of... It's relatable. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going on, but they do schedule a demo recording on that Saturday, which conflicts with their school talent show. (gasps) Which the other girls didn't want to miss, but Galleria is like, screw that. We will be here for the demo recording. Mm-hmm. Because Galleria had been, she's been turning into a bit of a diva, we will say. She was mean to Aqua about the hot sauce. She condescends to Drinka, their teacher. She's mean to Dorinda about her clothes and stuff like that. Um, and her like abilities as a singer. She was really, she was doubling and tripling down on Dorinda. Yeah. Yeah. Just truly just like not, she was rude. She was just rude. There's no other way around it. There, it's, Yeah. But she was being an asshole. She was being she an asshole. She totally yeah. was. Yeah. And it was, oh, my. I forgot how intense that insult is because it's like Dorinda tries to walk away three times and then Galleria just continues to double down. She's like, well, you can't sing. Also, you're poor. Also, I hate how you look. And then it was just like, <laughs> oh, my God, Dorinda, run. <laughs> like, yeah. And she's like, it's not optional. It's just like, okay, wow. <laughs> Gestapo <laughs> over here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then it's shortly after this that Chanel learns that Dorinda is in foster care. Mm. So the girls go in for their demo recording, but it turns out that Jackal Johnson has a different vision for the Cheetah Girls that includes the creepiest masks I've ever seen in my life. Horrifying. They're like, okay, what if you were daft punk, but scarier? <laughs> like. <laughs> 
It's very, I think it was the inspiration for the ad campaign for that movie, You're Next. Do y'all remember that? How they had posters (laughs) with all those animal faces. Yeah, that was, somebody watched the Cheetah Girls and was like, haunting. This is haunting. (laughs) I must make a film. I remember having like, just, I don't know, that like shot of Dorinda holding the panda mask and then tilting her head to the side. I just remember that really sticking with me in a negative way. I did not it's like horrific it. yeah same exact same i was like oh it's gonna happen when i was re-watching Ugh. this is the moment was that in the was it in the trailer or something I'm it like, was why did that okay okay because yeah. i was like Ooh. why did that shot really hit for me so i had like a like a weird little <laughs> psychological gut punch with that shot uh, Galleria is like, this is some bullshit. We're not going to wear your masks. We're not going to lip sync. Like, come on, Cheetah Girls, let's go. But the others are like, well, maybe we're okay with this. We, we're fine. We'll rebrand as Global Get Done, whatever. Geez, we're very um, in that year. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another moment where I, I, like the other three Cheetah Girls, I'm like, what? They're like, what? We should do it. We should sell out. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then... I was like, wait a second. I'm not on their side, I guess. <laughs> I was of two minds. Right. Yeah. Because I'm like, on the one hand, I feel like they should talk about it as a group and it shouldn't be them, I think, to use Dorinda's term, rubber stamping Galleria's decision. Right. <laughs> but on the mm-hmm. other hand, I'm like, you all are actually a creative group. You're not just like lip syncing to pop songs on the radio. They're 14. They're writing and producing their own stuff. God knows how. They are mm. very wealthy, though. It did, rich. It did yes. establish that they how, were At least rich half people. of them. Yeah. Three quarters of them are rich. The, yeah. Because Aqua like got sent from Houston and she can afford to take taxis everywhere. She's afraid of the yeah, subway. The thing is she hates the subway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she's wealthy enough to afford to live in New York City apparently by herself and then um, take taxis everywhere. She goes home to feed her twin every once in a while. (laughs) I think I do remember though in the books that maybe her dad was gone a lot on business and that might have been one of the reasons that we didn't see a lot of her home life because it was the two of them, Angie and Aqua, that were often together and they had each other and were very tight knit which Mm -hmm. now without Angie there, it's just Aqua being alone with her hot sauce. Right. I know, it makes me kind of sad. Yeah, so I guess that she, I like went back into the, there is a wiki for this. But like, <laughs> that, yeah, like Angie and Aqua lived with just their dad. I'm not sure where, how they came I think the mom is dead. Okay, maybe, so, so their mom has died. They live with their dad, but their dad travels a lot. So they're on their own quite a bit on the Upper West Side but there was like I don't know yeah this ended up I was expecting to come to this episode being like this this adaptation is wholly unfaithful um but not quite I mean down to like the like in the books I didn't remember this but I guess Aqua carried around hot sauce in the books mm-hmm. as well and like it, there were there was yeah, a, she did. there was a fair amount carried over I was like okay all right all right all right movie. it made me feel like very cool because my mom would carry hot sauce in her bag oh, yeah. and I was like oh my mom's like this cool character from this book I like maybe my mom's <laughs> not that uncool after all and she's not my mom is very cool I just was whack as a kid and I was just like everything my mom does is bad you're just 12 yeah <laughs> sure yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so the other Cheetah Girls, they're like, we're cool with doing this global get down rebranding thing. And Galleria is not. So the Cheetah Girls kind of 
more or less break up or like Galleria breaks away from them. Mm -hmm. And then one day Galleria is out walking her dog Toto and she spots a poster for Global Get Down. So she thinks that like the other cheetah girls had like gone ahead with this deal and she feels very betrayed. But then Toto gets loose and he falls in a hole in the sidewalk and chaos erupts around the city of New York cops show up fire people show up the press shows up there's an enormous traffic jam it's it's everything is chaos in new york city but then chanel aqua and dorinda show up to help toto also everyone at school shows up um, because they were in the middle of the talent show but this dog emergency was so severe that they had to cut power around the city <laughs> so the power went out during the talent show the rap that galleria's oh crush that you i was i watched it three times because you're just like <laughs> what is going on here it was just <laughs> that's another one where it was a little bit imprinted inside of me because when he was like come on come on i was yeah. like doing the, the <laughs> shout back he was like come on and i was like yeah come on and then i was like stop it don't encourage him <laughs> <laughs> and then he just ends it so like it's just such a like generic it's just so generic where he's like, and my DJ's going to play his beat. And then it just like cuts away. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> I was watching that and I was like, thank God the power is going to get cut. <laughs> and I will say earlier when they were about to do the audition, Mackerel and who's he? What's it? I can't uh, remember. Derek. Derek yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mackerel is the name that truly stuck with me in that duo. Uh, um, sure. The two of them were making a big deal about having to switch their audition time slots because uh, Mackerel had to go to the orthodontist (laughs) and they had real instruments that they needed to set up. And I was just like, where are these alleged real instruments in this moment? But then at the end, he's a good, Derek is a guitar god, but it just doesn't come into play in his actual song. (laughs) Not only is he a white rapper, he's also a legendary rock guitarist. And my DJ's going to play his beat. I was just like, <laughs> I, I can't get over it. They're also in that scene where they're trying to switch the times. There was just another funny character you never see name where Chanel, I don't know why she's kind of like, oh, let's switch the time. But she's like, no, we should switch the time. Mrs. Almanac needs to look at my history paper. I was like, Mrs. Almanac? I literally, on my notes, I just have written really big, Mrs. Almanac. (laughs) I was dying. I was like, that is just bold to be like, oh, history teacher character, history teacher character, Mrs. Almanac. Perfect. I love it. I hope that's in the books. I have no idea. But whoever wrote that. I don't remember that, but I hope it is too. Because it's great. Whoever wrote that line, or even if Adrian Balon uh, improvised it, it's genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good grief. Okay, so Toto is still in the hole. And they can't get Toto out of the hole. So the Cheetah Girls start singing to him. And because it's been set up that he responds well to their music it works he's they're able to coax him out of the hole and the day is saved Mm. but the cheetah girls are still broken up question mark and galleria realizes that their friendship is is the most important thing so in a very what i felt was an extremely titanic moment 
remember in Titanic when the musicians are playing as the ship is sinking and then they <laughs> say their goodbyes. They're like, let's go. The ship is about to sink. Let's uh-huh. just go off and split apart. Yes. But then one of them stays behind and keeps playing. And then the others are like, well, what else are we going to do? So then they come back and join him. And it this happens in Cheetah Girls as well, where mm-hmm. Galleria starts singing and then the other Cheetah Girls join in because they're Cheetah Girls cheetah sisters and it's inspiring they all i love even when i was a kid i'm like wow they really were all wearing the matching outfit that was the wild part to me because i was like oh right there's a talent show but then i remembered they were not going to perform in said talent show so why are they matching (laughs) (laughs) is it just the power of sisterhood or is it they could feel it I love, I love, I love that moment. I did appreciate the detail of Dorinda's matching outfit looking just a little shittier than everybody else's. (laughs) Just a little bit. Because presumably she had to make that herself? Like. I guess. Yeah. Or like, or like thrift shop it like she's Macklemore. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Macklemore, mackerel, the connections, there's everything. Makes you think. It's all there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then they get back together. They're singing in the street with the crowd that is still there on the streets for some reason. And the other girls are like, no, we didn't take that global get down deal. We're the Cheetah Sisters and we don't break up. And they win the talent show. I think, is it based on the performance they did on the street that everyone saw? Yeah, because in this world, the news is filmed like a music video. And so they (laughs) see the music video news and then Jackal's like, oh, (laughs) can't believe I missed out. Mm -hmm. So they win and then everyone's happy and that's how the movie ends. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Oh, boy. Where to start with the Cheetah Girls? There really is so much. I mean, we've already been talking about the books quite a bit. Um, I my, mm-hmm. my first instinct, because I don't know. I, I honestly, I was expecting to like this movie far less on the rewatch. There's definitely some stuff that I still don't like. There's whitewashing elements of the movie that are inexcusable. They cut a character for for every reason I've been able to find was pretty like dismissive and not realistic sounding because they were like, we couldn't find black twins, which I'm like, I don't believe that. Um. I also didn't believe that when I read it because I read the same thing and I'm like, okay, but it's not like anybody else was a big draw. And like Sabrina Bryan was not a name. You know what I mean? Like Raven was the name. Adrian Balon was a name because she was in 3LW. And I feel like it was because... They didn't want to spend the money to make like a parent trap situation. Two Keelys. Mm. Yeah. They were like, mm, maybe not. Hmm. And they had the three LW people. So they were like, well, we got this really great deal on these two real singers. So let's bring them right. in. I felt for the third LW. I was like, why? Why are we not bringing the third LW into the mix here? But I looked I looked her. I need to find what her name is she's like a thriving tv actor and she it turns out that she didn't need the cheetah girls amazing (laughs) that makes me really happy because i know they had a whole dramatic 3lw fight that involved like kfc at one point whoa Um, like oh like somebody threw kfc at somebody else there was it was very dramatic and embarrassing (gasps) for everyone Um, 3lw it seems like there was a lot of i don't know why there's been so much 3lw cheetah girls drama resurfacing since quarantine but it's a part of the conspiracy i know (laughs) it's the illuminati it's the 5g But so Naturi Naughton is the third LW. She's doing fine. She's in a stars drama show right now. It turns out she's actually doing better than the other LWs. I also learned <laughs> that Alicia Keys was uh, asked to be a three LW and she was like, I am busy. No. <laughs> and the final thing that I learned from just behind the scenes, I guess it's kind of fun to know, is that all like the Cheetah Girls didn't get along very well behind the scenes but I guess it mostly had to do with the fact that Keely and Adrian already didn't like each other from 3LW Mm, so then it's a picking Mm. sides situation exactly so it's a polarizing effect within the group and then for god knows why Raven Simone took it upon herself to go live with Keely Williams a few months ago and just talk about all of it 
So I guess if you're interested in that, you can watch it. But it was just like the messiest. I was watching it live. Um, but it was just the messiest <laughs> Instagram live broadcast I had seen in a while where Raven was like, yeah, we're going to go live and we're going to talk about 15 year old teenage drama and people are going to love it. And she was right. <laughs> she was correct. What was wow. I try- oh, well, I was, try- I was trying to say. What? <laughs> uh, so so um, I was I, the first thing I wanted to make sure was that was that the author, Deborah Gregory, was involved in the production of the movie. And it seems like she was involved in all three movies. She was a co-producer in the first two and an executive producer on the bad one, question mark. I don't know what happens in that one. <laughs> So so I, w- I was first off very relieved. And, and knowing that, it kind of like contextualizes a lot of the book makes it in. So that I was pleasantly surprised at. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. just in general, Deborah Gregory is getting paid. She has like a really interesting career where she's like dabbled in comedy and she's been like a magazine writer and she's written books and like she's just... But she's not a former model also? I don't know. She definitely studied fashion and it's, okay. it seems mm-hmm. like her life story kind of mirrors Dorinda's in more so in the book. But mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. I'm seeing on the scholarly journal Wikipedia um, <laughs> is that she was put into foster care when she was three years old. And as she was growing up, she started designing her own clothes and fantasized about a singing career. So it seems like her mm-hmm. life mirrored Dorinda's character quite a bit. I don't think I knew about the foster care. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, I read that because of her background and the background she wrote for the character of Dorinda, she identifies most with Dorinda of all the characters that she wrote. So it's interesting that that's the character who ends up being whitewashed in the movies because mm-hmm. Deborah Gregory is a black woman. Yeah. Um, so to have the character that she most identified with be the like white presenting character mm-hmm. it's frustrating it's frustrating because i believe that again consulting this scholarly journal that um deborah gregory is biracial and so is dorinda in the books mm-hmm. um, yes and so it, it seems like yeah dorinda is her um her like avatar sorry i watched avatar recently <laughs> The Last Airbender or James Cameron Avatar? the horrible one. (laughs) So, you know, it's like Dorinda's her avatar. She gets in the machine. She comes out. She's Dorinda. But in the (laughs) movie. So I I feel like it's a real, like, twist of the knife to change this character so significantly. And that's not Sabrina Bryan's fault. But I just, it's such a. No. It rings as such a Disney decision, Mm -hmm. I felt like. Mm -hmm. Not at all in line with the principles set forth in the Disney film, The Color of Friendship, I will just say. Yes, absolutely. That's another one that we... Another popular request of ours in the DCOM <laughs> sphere. I haven't seen it Understandable. So I think it's the only DCOM that has the N-word. <laughs> um, so that's oh, I did fact. read that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brave. <laughs> <laughs> There, I yeah. So I mean, it's I was especially disappointed because I didn't know these details about Deborah Gregory's life either. Um, but the fact that Dorinda is her, and that that is the character that the movie elects to whitewash is super disappointing. And also, just I mean, I, I'm curious on um, everyone's thoughts around just that scene between Chanel and Dorinda, where. Chanel has taken her mother's credit card, something I remember very clearly from the 
books. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. Because in every Cheetah Girls book, for those of you who haven't read it, it's like that they're like, I think that it's like narrated by a specific character. And so you're like, yeah. Oh. So the first one is narrated by Galleria. The second one is narrated by Chanel. I think the third one is narrated by Dorinda. And the fourth one is narrated by Aqua. Angie does not narrate any books because she's quiet. Because she's too quiet. Aww. She's too quiet to write something down. I <laughs> justice for Angie those books are so even just rereading I like reread the first like chapter that was available on Amazon and the writing style is just like teen girl tween girl mainlining of like what you want to read it's so fun but that scene with Chanel and Dorinda where Dorinda like they are kind of talking about race but then Dorinda kind of shuts the conversation down where I think that like Chanel is like, oh, you're you're mixed, you're half black because she confuses um, Dorinda's foster mother for her biological mother, and then mm-hmm. Dorinda replies by saying, no, like that's not what I'm saying. I'm not black. I don't know if I'm white. I don't know what I am, but I'm a foster child. And then that's kind of like the scene. I just found that to be a very bizarre scene, <laughs> like the way it plays out. It just seems to be like skirting any discussion i don't know yeah there's also a class element that i think the movie doesn't really know how to handle as well yeah and then following that scene is when chanel goes back home and talks with her mother who has been dating this french guy named luke and who's a huge part of the second movie Oh really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, because yeah, they're in they Barcelona go to Spain and he's to visit in his family. In... So this Luke guy is is taking up all of Chanel's mom's attention, and and Chanel is resentful of this. So she's she confronts her mother and is like, "Well, you know, I've seen what it's like to not have a mom," and she's referring to the fact that. Dorinda is in foster care and she's like I know what it's like to not have a mother and she's like conflating that with like her mother being gone sometimes and it's like um I don't I mean maybe that's just a very like freshman year in high school understanding of all of that but I also Also very dismissive of of Mrs. Bosco who is Dorinda's mm -hmm. foster mother who seems and she calls her mom also in that scene so you're like, Dorinda does have a mom. Right. Yeah, there's somebody who's there who cares for her. And I think that much of the Dorinda's parents not showing up for things, at least my understanding of it, is Dorinda harboring a sense of shame for not being wealthy. And I think that's especially hard for her because she lives very adjacent to wealth. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Mr. Bosco is the super of the of the building that they live in, which is this very like fancy New York City high rise. Mm-hmm. And that's how she's sort of been able to make people think that she's rich is because she'll have them drop her off right. there or like meet up in front. And she's like, this is the building I live in, which is not technically a lie. But yeah, I think that the class aspect of it is a big deal. And I think that's one of the reasons that she hides she's a foster kid so much. And it has nothing to do with race or anything. And that's that's Chanel's immediate thing. She's like, oh, well, we know you had to have a little something in you because you could dance. So, of course, you're half black, which is its own problematic statement. Mm -hmm. Right, right. (laughs) Right. The whole scene, you're just like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I it's and it's like though that element is introduced of I don't know. I mean, may, this maybe it's just like this movie, not maybe. Like this movie is just I guess not really making a class statement isn't really their 
thing because it's like the cheetah girls are so like girl power capitalism as much as I love them like that they very fall they very much fall into that early 2000s like girl power capitalism aesthetic um, Mm -hmm. where they're talking about buckets of ducats all the time and like money is a part of what they are aspiring for so I feel like it is interesting to have this class aspect but then it kind of like ends up sputtering in this weird way i forgot that mrs bosco comes at the end to the talent show and that Mm -hmm. she's immediately welcomed into the cheetah mom like fold and i thought that was Mm -hmm. awesome and like i had forgotten that that happens um yeah it just is it's dorinda's whole character is so just strangely handled in this movie for reasons that feel very like sinister disney and then on top of that, the storyline they do give her, this class storyline, is also not really resolved or examined in a conclusive way. Right. Because what happens there is that she works at this community center to basically earn credits to be able to take dance classes there. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's become a really skilled dancer to the point where this dance instructor who has like a traveling, like a touring dance crew. She should have gone on the tour. She, she should have yeah, gone on the tour. Yeah, sees her dancing and then offers her a spot yeah. and then she, it, which would have been paid and she says like, oh wow it's paid great i need that money but then she kind of backtracks when she's talking to her rich cheetah girls friends and she's like well i'm just holding out for you know cheetah girls cheddar and it's like i don't understand why you made that choice you just you just turned away from all of that so now there's no there's no anything yeah i uh that it was a weird I was like she should have also now the cheetah girls as much as I loved their performance when Toto got out of the hole uh, <laughs> it's not like they're like okay and now we're off to do this like they're just kind of well ooh. actually not to not to be the well actually person no the prize <laughs> the prize from the talent show was studio time so oh, they right. do get to record uh, like in a professional demo like they would have gotten with Jackal Johnson, but they get to do it on their own terms, which I do think is a lovely resolution to that mm-hmm. issue where it's like, oh, we all come together. We're sisters. We're a big family. And now we get to make our recording studio debut without sleazy wannabe Matthew Lillard. Right. Okay. So that I, I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Okay. So that's good. But the movie doesn't make it clear at the end. It's all about the right. friendship. They hand them a disco ball. The progression. <laughs> it's not about the progression of their career at all. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, and the books I feel like are more explicit about like the goal of they want to be a pop group. And then sometimes there's like, there was like a whole book about, do Carla, do you remember the one that was like it was a whole book about like Galleria like wears a dog collar and then it becomes a really popular accessory and then she's like I have to market this that was a whole book so sometimes <laughs> stuff like that will happen but most okay. of the time it's career focused it is very capitalistic the whole it, thing it really <laughs> hashtag girl boss to the max it's really girl bossy it's very uh, I had yeah I hadn't thought about the the dog collar one in a long time that was a whole book Wow. <laughs> well, because there's like 16 Cheetah Girls books, right? There's a whole there are a slew of them. a lot of them. Yeah, I remember yeah. the 11th one, I think it's the 11th one, was the one that stood out to me the most. And just going back to Dorinda's character and how Deborah Gregory 
sees herself most as Dorinda, uh, that's the one where Dorinda finds out that her mother was white because she had this image in her head of her mother being this beautiful black woman because she knew that she was biracial and she Mm -hmm. knew that uh, one of her parents was black and one of her parents was white. She just didn't know which. And she Uh had this image in her head of this beautiful black woman that looked kind of like her. And then she finds out that she has a bio sister who shares the same mother as her. So she goes to meet her bio sister and her bio sister is like white and blonde and looks like Scandinavian. And Mm. that sort of really shatters her world and her view and takes away this mother that looks like her and this powerful black woman that she feels she has as her ancestor. And that made a huge impact on me as like a tween. I was like, wow, can you imagine your entire personality and not entire personality, but your entire perception of your, of yourself being shifted Mm -hmm. like that. And -hmm. I feel like that's sort of all the stuff that maybe they were trying to get at there when she's like, I don't know what I am and I don't know who I am. And that's why being a foster kid is so like tough for me. But, and this isn't a pre 23 and me world, obviously we need to remember that. (laughs) but I feel like it was just so shallowly handled. It was very surface in that Mm -hmm. scene, which is, which is kind of a bummer too. Cause it's like, I mean, yeah, I guess that her like race is not really, I mean, she does make that comment to drink, like cuts Drinka off, which is another thing of like, Oh, let's explore this insecurity that she has. And then it just kind of doesn't come up again. But where she cuts Drinka off and she's like, oh, I'm the white girl that can dance. And I'm like, it like, are you like, do we know? And and <laughs> she seems and then especially because they cast, I did a little bit of research on Sabrina Bryan and she is she's certainly white passing. But um, mm-hmm. her her father is uh, Mexican Spanish and her mother is German and Cherokee. So she is a mixed person herself. So it's like you hired mm-hmm a white passing mixed person. So if you're going to do like, that is very like, like you were saying, Krama, that's a very cheetah girls like storyline to examine, but then mm-hmm. they kind of are just like question mark, question mark. And it never got to move on to the dog in the hole. Right. And <laughs> now a dog's in the hole. Um, I don't understand why that's the climax of the movie. <laughs> what does a dog in a hole have anything to do with anything? Anyway, it's a bummer. Cause I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm very curious of what how, what Deborah Gregory thought of that decision. I wasn't able to find a quote on it. But, you know, it's like this was her character. And then I feel like generally Dorinda is everyone's least favorite cheetah girl. Um, <laughs> so that stinks. Because she has Deborah. the least personality, I feel like, in the film also. Mm-hmm. And maybe the part of that springs from the fact that in the book, she was actually two years younger than everybody. Mm, uh, which I thought was interesting that they, I mean, I guess it's easier to kind of just have them all be the same age in the movie, but, uh, she kind of feels behind in terms of character development and maybe that's what they were trying to get at, but it just came off as like, uh, she's the white one and all she does is dance. She doesn't sing much and she dances and that's, she's cute for the dancing. Right, which is also confusing because she sings at least as much as Aqua does. So I was like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, this seems like they're all singing equal parts. <sighs> it's weird because like with Dorinda, she is mostly characterized by her shame she feels around being a foster child. Like that's mainly what we know about her aside from like she's, also, she's the one who can like dance better than everyone. Mm-hmm. So it, I think like... 
that and then and then we've got aqua who just like is barely characterized at all except that we know that she has she takes a trigonometry class at nyu, at NYU. yeah I'm like, <laughs> like okay, okay so you're a math pants. genius because well, in the book she wants to be uh it's again just like a nod to the book but it's so passing that you're if you didn't read the book you're like huh like she wanted to be a doctor in the books. I remember that super clearly where it was like, she was like, yeah, I'm a musician. And like her and Angie were the best singers in the group. But Aqua also had this ambition to be a doctor. And like, she just, there was just so much more there. And, and she I loved like, horror films. Yes. Mm. Oh yeah. They liked the, their, her and Angie did. Right. Like that mm-hmm. was like their, sh- the that was their thing. Hmm. there was so much there and then yeah i feel like it's kind of like at least they get in references to her character but we don't see her home life i wonder if that ever was in the script because it's like the other three cheetah girls get their side quest as it were Mm -hmm. and um no side quest Mm -hmm. for aqua except that i guess she Mm -hmm. takes the subway one time (laughs) and she is the darkest which i'm also like is this colorism or is this just bad script pacing Mm. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I was kind of curious as to like if casting, I mean, no shade on Keely Will- Williams. Again, it's not her fault, but like that uh, if the casting of Keely Williams was also colorism, because I remember in the books and then I went back to the covers, the original covers of the Cheetah Girl books that uh, Aqua and Angie were darker than the rest of the group. They were like dark skinned. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Disney Channel did not really follow through on that much like Dorinda. Mm-hmm. She was, I will say, the darkest of the people that were cast That's true. Um, in the group. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's still, Keely Williams is not like super dark skinned and not in the same way that Angie and Aqua were on the covers. It was like very clearly, and they used the same models for all of the book covers. So they were like, oh, there's my girl, Dorinda. There's my girl, Galleria. Like you had your girls on the cover mm-hmm. and they were much darker. I did some deep dive into because I was like, who are the girls on the covers of the Cheetah Girl books? <laughs> I found out um, three of them. I don't know who is who, but three of them were in a girl group named Before Dark. One of them mm-hmm. was a ballerina and one of them was on Broadway in The Lion King. Amazing. Don't know who's who, but it's just like a, it looks like a group. It looks like they, they like did a casting call for a group of like tween girls from New York. Hmm. So there's <laughs> right iconic covers too. I like looking. I went like back into like a used book website to revisit the covers and like scratch my nostalgia, whatever brain. What <laughs> and the covers rock. But anyways, yeah, it seems like there's some some fuckery going on there as well. Yeah. Um, Let's take another quick break and then we'll come back for more discussion. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, 
And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I was starting to say before the break that I found some of the characterization to be a little weird. Um, And then with Galleria and Chanel getting more screen time, I guess that mostly makes sense because they were like the original founding member members that they mm-hmm. would get maybe just a little bit more focus in real estate in the movie, which I think is generally true of the books. And also mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, because Raven, it is kind of a funny coinciding plot point that everyone in the Cheetah Girls is annoyed that Galleria is the center and bigger than everyone else on the poster because that was Mm -hmm. just also very true of this movie where like everyone knew who Raven was and there was maybe (laughs) some head scratching for the other three if you didn't know 3LW. Um, Which I did not at all. I didn't learn of the existence of that girl group until I started reading about this movie. That's crazy because they have such a good song. I'm the um, little tired of your broken promises. Yeah. Promises. Yeah. <laughs> With the little list and promises, promises. <laughs> yeah. It's, their music is so cute because that was when they literally were like 12 or 13 or something. Yeah. There's a line in there. It's like, boy, you promised me Kate Spade, but that was last year, baby, in the eighth grade. And I was just like, oh my God, first of all, what young gentleman is promising an eighth grade girl Kate Spade? And why do I have the same taste in handbags as an eighth grade girl? (laughs) I forgot about that lyric. (laughs) But yeah, it's like Adrian has, maybe she has braces or something, but she has like a little lisp and then... It's really, it's really cute. But yeah, Raven was also very much the star of this movie. So I wasn't surprised that Galleria got a gigantic storyline as well. Mm -hmm. It's all about the dollars. But I think Mm -hmm. that, I think this 
movie would have actually benefited from being a series sort of a la the brand new babysitters club series on netflix Mm. because like the babysitters club movie i felt was a pale dive into the world of the babysitters club another book series that i was super into as a child Uh, and this new tv show that's happening is much better and gets into the interior lives of more of the characters Mm -hmm. and it's a similar thing where each babysitter had their own book so it's like christy's big idea claudia Mm -hmm. and mean janine all of that and i think that the cheetah girls probably would have benefited from something similar where we could have seen aqua and hopefully angie at home (laughs) watching horror movies wanting to be a doctor which again in the 90s black girl who's like very clear about wanting to be a doctor that's actually huge Mm -hmm. and having that not be like a big thing where it's just like normal that she's like yeah i want to be a doctor it's like pre-doc mcstuffins too a show that (laughs) made me cry the first time i watched it with my little sister she was like why are you crying and i was like she wants to be a doctor and everyone's just fine with it and it's normal And even the little detail we do get with Aqua's character that she's like a math genius, apparently taking a college level trig class. Like that's also pretty revolutionary to see like a mm-hmm. young black girl interested in math, taking a, an advanced math class. Like that's not something we yeah, saw. It was very on offhandedly mentioned. She's like, I have yeah. to catch a cab so I can get to my very fancy class. <laughs> And another thing that I think this, I mean, just putting it in the context of 2003, because we've covered so many movies that are in this like chunk of late 90s into early to mid 2000s of um, even like seeing in detail the home life of a non-white teen character is mm-hmm. huge. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you talked about it a lot in your Bring It On episode. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. we didn't get to see any of Isis's, like, life at all outside of what Torrance was exploring and what Torrance felt was mm-hmm. relevant to her. And, right. yeah, seeing Galleria at home and seeing Chanel at home is still really cool, especially because we get to see Galleria's interracial parents and Mm -hmm. this like intercultural thing where her father's an immigrant and speaks in Italian. He's like, I don't understand the slang. A bling bling. Now there's an extra bling, (laughs) which is adorable and very relatable (laughs) to anybody who has immigrant parents who are like, wait, no, this is not what you said last week. I just, everything's always (laughs) changing. Right. And also that it seems like Galleria's mom is the breadwinner of the family. And like she's, Mm -hmm. she's, uh, I think this is, I also like watched the second Cheetah Girls movie just simply because I wanted to. But she's like a fashion designer, like a famous fashion designer. And that's why they Mm -hmm. have this huge apartment. And I don't remember if we know what uh, Chanel's mom does. I don't really remember. Um, Dates rich men, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of, I I kind of forgot that being the huge element of Chanel's mom, where I think it's like cool to have like a single parent representation that like Mm -hmm. rocks. I was kind of, that storyline for me was a little all over the place. And I don't really remember. I remember in the books that she like took her mom's credit card and spent a ton of money and that Chanel like was pretty well off. But I, but then she also like resents her mom for being mm-hmm. kind of like openly like I want to date a rich guy and this is what I mm-hmm. want um and her she kind of like is calling her mom a gold digger but then also is in this very like kid like way it's like she doesn't like how her mom lives her life but also directly benefits from it and so it just kind of ends up being an ele- a story element that exists I didn't really know what to make of 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 that I liked her mom mm-hmm. 
But then there were also were times where she was kind of neglecting Chanel to, you know, go hang, like go hang out with rich guys. And I didn't mm-hmm. like that. And then when it, when their storyline resolves after that Dorinda scene and Chanel comes back and she's like, actually, you're an awesome mom. And I'm like, she's not an awesome mom. She's not a bad mom. She's a comic. Yeah, like she feeds you, but right. she doesn't do other things that maybe could make her an even better mom. Like right. she stopped paying attention to Chanel and Chanel wanted to tell her, like, I hit the high C with the cheetah girls today. And she's like, I have to go meet up with Luke. Bye. Right. <laughs> yeah she keeps getting like bailed on by her mom and then just kind of forgives her mom for doing that without her mom having to like do anything or change her behavior um mm-hmm. which seems like maybe kind of a lucky break for chanel's mom mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh so we've talked about the whitewashing of dorinda's character and you know there's lots to be critical about there but, you know, the fact that this movie's cast is predominantly women and girls of color yeah. between Galleria and her mom, Chanel and her mom, Aqua, Drinka, and then also, like, as far as behind-the-scenes representation, the screenwriter is a black woman named Allison Taylor, the director is a black man named Oz Scott, a number of the producers are black women. Yeah. Whitney Houston is Whitney a producer. Houston. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many. I, I loved doing research on the writer of this movie. Allison Taylor was such a pleasure because she has written on so many legendary like millennial children's properties. She wrote the first two Cheetah Girls movies. She wrote on Lizzie McGuire. She wrote on Sister Sister. She wrote on uh, Married with Children, which I don't care about. She wrote about Clarissa <laughs> Explains It All. And she wrote on, does anyone remember this show? A Hundred Deeds for Eddie McDowd. Never heard I of it. do not. It was about, it was a Nickelodeon show. I loved it. Okay, so the premise of the show, and I want to go back and rewatch it. It was about a man that was trapped in a dog's body, and the dog, <laughs> and the dog had to do a hundred good deeds, and then he could be a man again. And so, what? Okay, wait, wait, backtrack. That was the How show. does a dog do a good deed? Like Timmy's stuck in a well. Like does he have to go? Toto's stuck in a hole, and he has to get the other dog out of the hole. Basically. <laughs> And it was one of those scary movies where, I mean, if you Google, it was like one of those scary movies that terrified, or not movies, shows that terrified me where they would manipulate, like the dog was talking like a man. Oh, no. And was like, I have to do a hundred good deeds. Like he was, and the jaw is scary and the eyes are dead. And, but that was (laughs) a show. Just logistically, is it like a puppet like it was on Sabrina or is it like CGI? It's early CGI. It would have been like early 2000s dog CGI. If you look it up, the dog has really blue eyes and they're digitally manipulating his mouth. Anyways, she wrote on that show. I liked that show, (laughs) even though it scared me. And really quick aside, since I talked about Salem the Cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, Nick Bakai, who voices Salem the Cat, wrote Paul Blart Mall Cop. What? (gasps) Yeah, that is a true fact. Whoa. So what? what is the lesson to be learned from that? Like, uh, that Salem the cat really loves Kevin James. I don't know. It's like, did we just give Salem the cat too much money and he felt emboldened to write I mean, it got greenlit and got a got a sequel. So, did we embolden him, or is this who we are as a nation? That's true. Let's not hmm. let's not put the blame on Salem. We we were asking for it. The- but yes, so Allison, Allison Taylor. I just um, it turns out I'm a fan of so much of her work. 
Um, and yes, I was, I was also one of the first things I was like, did they give this to a black female screenwriter? And they did Disney channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, Disney in general, but, but the channel by extension, they, no one ever makes the right decision there. And in this movie they did, <laughs> it seems like several times over the author is involved. Whitney Houston is a producer that there is a black director in the first movie. Although Kenny Ortega comes in on the second movie, which is why the second mm-hmm. movie is, uh, all dancing, no plot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no shade to Kenny Ortega. I love him, but those are what his movies are like. Um, but on this movie, yeah, Oz Scott is a director. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He directed for Color Girl, for Colored Girls, also yeah. at a certain point. Yeah, mm, I didn't have like name recognition for him, but once I looked at his filmography, I was like, oh, I know this guy's work for, uh, pretty well. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it was a it was a good team making this movie. I was happy to see that. Uh, can we talk really quickly about Drinka? Yes, um, yes. First of all, just Drinka the character. A wonderful character. I'm so glad. I don't remember. Is Drinka in the books, girl? I don't I remember. believe Drinka is in the books. I she think is. that she's like a vocal coach or something in the books, though. Okay. Like an outside vocal coach and not somebody involved with school, if I remember correctly. Because mm-hmm. the talent show thing is a contrivance for the movie. So that mm-hmm. they can like be in school and have all this oh, stuff okay. be school-related. Win the thing. I, I like Drinka's character a lot in the movie. I like how when Galleria is being an asshole, you know, Drinka doesn't stand for it. She's like, I ha- all I have is this school, you kids in my word. And you're like, yeah, Drinka. <laughs> Fuck Galleria. She's being, you know, she's being rude. <laughs> the stage name, Drinka Champagne. Like, mm. Ugh, just beautiful. Incredible. When she starts, what is that anecdote she starts saying on stage when the rat, when the power gets pulled? She's talking about like the captain and Tennille or something. You're like, <laughs> captain and Tennille. It's all so like, this reminds me of the New York City blackout of 1977. And you're like, okay, Drinka. <laughs> all right. Give it's, us the history. <laughs> it's the best. Um, but I also, uh, I, I didn't realize. Um, until I recently saw her speak to it in an interview on Netflix that uh, the, mm-hmm. the actress, uh, Sandra Caldwell, is a very famous trans actress. Um, I, did not, mm-hmm. I did not know that. Um, I mean, when I saw the movie when I was a kid, but it, that was kind of what like, brought Cheetah Girls back to... Because you see her, you're like, oh my God, Drinka. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that, though, at the time that the movie was filmed and at that point in time i don't know that she was out as trans correct yeah yeah right she i believe didn't come out until fairly recently i want to say like 2018 Mm -hmm. there was a new york times article about her coming out in 2017 so yeah in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. she she came out yes she is one of the actors featured in the documentary disclosure that i keep uh referring to in which she was describing her struggle of being a trans actor, but not being out and living in constant fear that someone would discover that she is trans and that might have meant her not being able to continue to get work. Uh, That might have meant the end of her career. That might have meant she was a target for violence, like any number of things that trans people have to deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she she speaks to that in that uh, interview and in the documentary. We'll link to it in our episode description too. It's like a really incredible interview and um, is worth mentioning inside of this episode because it's also just like 
I don't know. She, it's just such a fun character. She's an amazing character actress. Mm-hmm. And the added context of knowing, you know, the constant anxiety and stress that she had to be under while consistently turning in these amazing character performances. Um, it's like, it, it's incredible. So we'll, we'll link that it's as well. It's frustrating too, because I'm just like, mm-hmm. if she hadn't had to worry about this, what could she have accomplished? If this mm-hmm. weren't a fear that she had and a legitimate danger in her life, what could she have accomplished? Because look at what she did with all of that. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's it's just mind boggling that on top of everything else that actors have to worry about, that she had to worry about this added, like genuine, legitimate in like 19. I mean, I guess at this point it's 2003, but still her career spans from like the late time, 80s yeah. or early 90s. Yeah, she was an Mm -hmm. active working actor and just the idea that this is something that was a part this anxiety was a part of her career trajectory is just very upsetting absolutely and then to to come out as an older person and face a whole new wave of scrutiny and anxiety and i mean she speaks to it so like it's just it's an incredible devastating interview because the way she talks about it she's like well I just I just had to do what I had to do and it was stressful and I you know like it was hell but this was the path I had to take and it's such an unfair it's such an unfair path for anyone to have had to worry about I don't know it Mm -hmm. it makes me want to watch more of her work as well she's been in so much um and hopefully we'll, we'll continue to be as well but She's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Drinker rocks. Yeah. She's such a funny character. The Captain and Tennille. Well, and I <laughs> I love the sort of loving read that she gives Galleria at the end mm-hmm. where she's like, you got a big heart. You just have to worry about that big mouth of yours. <laughs> right. And it's like the sort of adult non-parental guidance that sometimes you need because nobody listens to their parents when they're 14. And it's nice to have an outside adult who is engaged in the thing that you want to do be this mentor to you and teach you like it's okay to be opinionated, but you also need to know when to hold back and you need to be considerate of the people around you. Part of the cheetah Mm -hmm. credo. (laughs) It really is. is. And, you know, she does drink a upholds the cheetah credo of, you know, expecting adults to treat you with respect, because Mm -hmm. even in her frustration, even in her anger, with the girls she does not ever malign them or be like you're banned from my talent show forever mm-hmm. or anything like that she's just like okay if you think this is more important then fine go do that but this is something that's important to me and i am still going to treat it as if it's important to me and you treat what's important to you as what's important to mm-hmm. you right and then it comes back around and uh she's the best yeah she's very classy and i love how supportive she is of the girls and their musical talent and ambition i wish that i don't think that she's in the second i don't they're not really in school in the second one i just wish she came back in those movies mm-hmm. yeah second one is like junior summer summer after junior year trip to barcelona <laughs> like yeah really relatable um <laughs> <laughs> what and the fact that Dorinda had to use Galleria's dad's miles was, I like how that's how they got around it. I'm like, what about when she gets there? Who's paying for her food? Who's paying for her lodging? I'll, t- I'll like, tell you who. What is- she starts dating a count in the second one right away. What? Which I totally forgot. There's like some 
count that she meets that is like, I think you're beautiful and I want you to dance the tango with me. And there's a whole tango sequence. I don't, I realize I do not remember a lot about the second movie at all. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of the teen romances, can we talk about Derek and the romantic <laughs> subplot sure. with him and... <laughs> So uh, it's it's not worth going into that much about it, but it's set up that he he's got this musical duo with his friend Mackerel. Mackerel has an orthodontist appointment. <laughs> the whole thing. He's <laughs> we're introduced to him because they're also trying out for the talent show. So he pops up every so often in the movie to mostly condescend to Galleria to a greater extent than I've ever seen in a movie where when he's pitching the idea of switching audition times he calls the Cheetah Girls a little project which um, is really rich once you hear his music especially right? you're like music. that god <laughs> right. like, you're not Bob Dylan men will go to the mat with their mediocrity in a way that is never not shocking Right. Um, then he he hears that they've gotten a meeting with Jackal Johnson, mm -hmm. and he tries to one up her by talking about another. And I don't know if this is a real musician or if this is just one of the inventions of the movie, but some famous musician. He's lying about the extent to which they've interacted. Mackerel calls him on it. He's like, what are you talking about, bro? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, it's like, you handed him a sugar packet. It made me want way more of Mackerel because I'm like, Mackerel is the real character here. He's not a liar. Mm -hmm. He's like, I need to go to the orthodontist. Derek handed him a sugar <laughs> packet. Like, he's a journalist. <laughs> yeah. I need a mackerel drink a spinoff. Oh my movie. God, where he's like her intern <laughs> yes. or something. And yes. they would be such yes. good. Team. Yes. Also, there, and this was another character that I think they made show up in the movie for two seconds to be a little brother, but it's Poochie. Yeah. That's, Poochie. That's Chanel's little brother, right? Yeah. yeah. Where does he go? Where does he I go? He's with their dad. Oh, There's a very okay. explicit line in the earlier part where it's like, oh, Poochie's at your dad's house. I'm going out with Luke. And I guess it's mm -hmm. supposed to be a thing where it's like Poochie's with the dad because he needs a strong male figure in his life or something. But Question they mark. also have him running the light and sound the board tech? for the audition. <laughs> and I he's like eight years old. My notes, I wrote, a literal child is running the board. And you <laughs> don't know that it's Poochie at first. So I'm just like, what is this child labor that's happening at this high school? Who's also condescending to the Cheetah Girls. Yeah, he does <laughs> neg them. This eight-year-old negs the Cheetah Girls. I have kind of, I think that this is at very least a Disney Channel trend. But I think it might be a stock character that expands beyond the Disney Disney Channel of of like precocious little brother specifically where it's like mm. a brother who is secretly a tech genius who shows up for plot reasons I, this is like huge in Lizzie McGuire uh, but it comes up in a lot of kids shows where it's like mm -hmm. them, if it's a show about a teen girl there's often a bothersome little brother around who knows mm -hmm. how computers work <laughs> I also think it's very funny that Chanel and Poochie are both named after designer brands Yes, I love it. Right. And Galleria <laughs> is named after a mall. Lit so Oh my so in the Glendale Galleria. In the second in the second movie, because they don't really talk about their names in the first one, 
in the second movie, Galleria literally says to a boy she just met in Barcelona, because he's like, my name's Angel. And she's like, oh, that's such a beautiful name. My name's Galleria. It's a big building where you buy things. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and that's, that's just... actually in the books, too. It is specific oh that Wait, I forget she that. was named. Both of them, their names are very intentional, and their parents intentionally <laughs> named them those things for the reasons that you hope that they didn't. <laughs> Baby capitalisms. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to the Derek thing really quickly. So after he's like lying about this interaction with a famous musician, then he, he like leaves the scene and um, Galleria is like, she, that's when she gives the incredible line. If he can't respect my art, he can't have my heart. And we're like, I, we do yeah. love you, that. I do love that. Then, <laughs> no. later in the movie, after the Cheetah Girls have kind of broken up, she is in the theater at school playing a song, and then Derek comes in. Here's what he says, quote, It wasn't entirely all that bad. It actually sounded like something, not like that pop fluff you usually are doing. And Right. And then, and then he assumes that someone else wrote it for her and that she did not write it herself. Well, so dig. he's being this like condescending piece of shit the entire movie. Yeah, he is still nagging her. And then at the end, they kiss. And it's like, I, I just, I hate this. I don't hate necessarily that there is a romantic subplot. I hate that it's with this kid, Derek, who sucks and constantly condescends to her. You know who doesn't condescend to the Cheetah Girls music and who is very supportive of them? Toto the dog. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Well, you can't kiss Toto the dog at the end. (laughs) No. No, I'm not suggesting that (laughs) she ends up with her dog romantically. (laughs) I do love the i mean if we're talking screenwriting caitlin i know you've got a handful of degrees in this the plant and mean? payoff of toto the mm. dog and they also because it's a decom they reuse the same shot of the dog jumping around constantly <laughs> they use it three Which or is... four times every time she goes toto it's the same shot it's shot on like a 1992 camcorder like they did not <laughs> i don't know it cuts to this weird like really grainy poorly lit shot of the dog in the hole and it's like what always the same happened <laughs> oh it's very funny yeah i i didn't think that the the um thing that it needed to be there i think it's definitely a part of the disney channel formula and i at least appreciated that it didn't take up you know because sometimes those stories really i mean we were talking about it with xenon not too long ago mm-hmm. where a boy plot really ends up kind of consuming the back half of the movie but at least that uh-huh. doesn't happen here he's like only in three scenes maybe i mean he's not in yeah, it that much three or four i also appreciate that uh it is an interracial romance which is something mm-hmm. even for the early 2000s was not something that was seen or if it was seen it wasn't presented in a way that was just normalizing it it was always like it was something like save the last dance where it's like <gasps> oh yeah a white like- person and a black person want to kiss ah they come from different worlds. He's hip hop. She's ballet. Can they dance together? It's like, she's, yes. She's a pop star. He's a white rapper. Can they kiss? You're like, I guess so. 
But should they? I do love that Galleria basically says that men are scams early on. She's like, I don't have time for that. I need to focus on my career. And mm-hmm. that, that for me was the problem with the kiss with Derek at the end. It didn't feel earned. There was no chemistry there. There was mm-hmm. no real desire from her to be involved with him. There are like jokes from the other girls. It's like, oh, he's your boo. And she's like, mm-hmm. no, he's not. And then at the mm-hmm. end for them to kiss, I was like, mm. Right. Where is this coming what from? Did she, did she even like him? Yeah. I think that because he was there in the wake of the global get down thing, she's like, ah, my rock. And I'm just like, no, get another rock. Right. You have Toto. Toto's your rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like I, I wouldn't mind the romance subplot if it had been presented in a way that just like made more sense because it doesn't seem like she likes him. She is very articulate and like makes a lot of sense of the reasons she doesn't like him. Um, <laughs> and then at the end, she's like, I guess I like him. And would you... Which is, um, it just didn't make a ton Mm-mm. of sense. I did appreciate um, that the main conflict of this movie, it's not a will they or won't they. It mainly is like the tension of the friendship with Galleria and Chanel. I remember mm-hmm. at least when I was a kid, even though it's like it was aspirational because their, their problems are very like rich girl <laughs> problems. <laughs> But I do like seeing, um, and I feel like you don't get a lot of, like, two friends in conflict where it's resolved with love. I I think that that's always nice to see. And also, like, Galleria is being a huge asshole to Chanel Mm -hmm. for so much of the movie. And, like, not... And several other characters. Everyone. Well, that's the thing. They end (laughs) up with, they end up with, in 2003, a diss site chompcheetah.com yes. <laughs> nothing currently there I checked I also checked oh. I was like oh I hope this still exists have they kept on to this have they held on to this domain the same way Space Jam has since I 1996 oh, it would it would have been a beautiful thing to see but I mean I guess if you're listening and you want that domain name it is available it's my new personal website <laughs> chompcheetah.com uh, <laughs> jamie please please do please it buy that a, domain name it's just when, during the plug section i'm like uh you can check out my website chompcheetah.com <laughs> i love that they have a disc site um yeah i mean again i'm like i don't mean to be too critical of the i mean the girls that eventually just become the only cheetah girls sans raven um mm. but they I mean, I they just seem to be so... They're like, well, we should give these terrifying masks a chance. And I get... I mean, it, that was that's a great place, I thought. I was like, okay, this is where they can introduce the class aspect of like, okay, like maybe Dorinda is inclined to play ball here with the scary panda mask because they're offering her money that she wants to elevate her status. And that is a part of her character. But they kind of don't do that. And they're just like it is more of a fame thing than uh, he is offering them money that would give them independence that they Mm -hmm. want. I don't know. And it's like, it's weird to me. Well, maybe it's, maybe I don't know how to feel about this, but I found it something that (laughs) Galleria is both the character who turns into an enormous like asshole to everyone and is mean and condescending to everyone that montage maybe she and uh, Derek deserve each other since they're both condescending to everybody but (laughs) she is like very mean to everyone and but then she's also the character with like the strongest conviction in terms of like no we need to be true and authentic to ourself and our music and we're not going to sell out so it feels like those two things should have been given to two different characters, maybe? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, unless they were making a really sophisticated 
point, which is that people can be assholes and then also occasionally make a good point but that doesn't seem like the the kind of sophisticated point that should be made in a movie for 11 year olds like right that seems like a more like a three hour long paul thomas anderson thing to say (laughs) don't you mean inception by christopher nolan no his characters suck (laughs) um no but uh yeah, I, I guess Galleria does turn into such a cartoon villain for a good 20 minutes of the movie. And mm-hmm. then she becomes, she's right at the beginning. And then it starts good where it's like, oh, she said she was the founder. That's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. That you're like, okay, that's an interesting. But then she just goes full, like she's cackling for an entire montage. Um, <laughs> and then she's kind of back to being the moral center and like, our art is more important than art than capitalism and yeah it's a little messy i do appreciate that perhaps the movie is making commentary on how like the music industry among many other branches of the entertainment industry try to like commodify people especially young women to like Mm -hmm. sell stuff it felt um, very intentional to me mm-hmm, because yeah. they were like, oh, we're going to capitalize on the letter G being big this year. We're going to capitalize <laughs> right. on environmentalism and how all right. of these creatures are endangered. And I was just like, mm-hmm. can we just talk for a second about their sound? Because they right. briefly are like, yeah, you guys sound good, which is why we're going to put you into this thing that sounds nothing at all like you. Right. <laughs> and it was just sort of this complete erasure of everything that made the cheetah girls cheat delicious and fierce. <laughs> and uh, I am very disturbed by their handshake though, where there is a very realistic cheetah growl. Oh my God. I'm like, oh. how do you make that sound out of your mouth? Multiple times. <laughs> that was also in the trailer. I remember very clearly because it's just, yeah, like copy paste cheetah sound dot mp3 like it's the same sound every time yes Uh, (laughs) i will say what was interesting to me about that sort of montage where galleria was just laughing at her own hilarity and like "Uh, jackal says that all the time (laughs) Uh, was that as soon as everything became about a man it got very hairy and like very unfun Mm -hmm. and uninteresting and that was sort of the commentary for me it was like when you let men enter your sphere and you make things about Mm -hmm. the men entering your sphere instead of about your girls Mm -hmm. and about the connection that you have and the people that were already in your world so just even taking gender out of it like when you let somebody else come in and influence you as opposed to the people that you built something with that's when things go topsy-turvy and bad totally i like i mean that i i never had that read of it before that that i love that read it was mm-hmm. like when you let men and capitalism into your mix <laughs> things get bad things go south things, quickly your yeah. your world gets you get this websites down. you get yeah, che- right? you get ch- chompcheetah.com <laughs> <laughs> I, I think too like there's um the the lyrics to several of their songs are empowering for women and young girls like there's and and maybe it's a little bit of like the superficial like I mean there's literally a song called girl power which we have criticized the idea on the podcast a lot of the idea of like 90s early 2000s like just very surface level girl power sentiment that is not that helpful for our purposes but I've also been thinking about this recently where like girls and women 
generally have to learn feminism because, you know, we grow up, we're still surrounded by patriarchal structures. We are often conditioned to think and believe certain things that are in direct conflict with our own self-interest. We, and we have to unlearn a lot of stuff. But, you know, you have to start somewhere when it comes to learning feminism. So the kind of surface level, like, girl power thing that is often directed at young girls, yes, it's very superficial, but it also feels like a good entry point, you know, for this learning process, as long as it also, like, moves into more kind of complicated feminism that everyone needs to learn. Well, I think that that's my general problem with this message is that it doesn't really ever it doesn't tend go to do that. Beyond that. Like Cinderella sort of, more than girl power, the song Cinderella has the idea of don't wait around for a man to rescue you, rescue yourself. You have that power and you yeah. have the capability. Mm -hmm. But then that's the first song that we're really getting from them as the Cheetah Girls. And then it just sort of devolves into like generic, oh, we're here for each other. I'm like, how? How are you here for each other? Are you mm -hmm. disclosing your salaries to make sure that everybody's getting paid the same? And <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the deal? What, how, what is the action here? Not right. just the sort of slogan, the future is female sort of deal. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, I guess that that is, and, and this is like, I mean, Cheetah Girls, I, I'm like, I almost want to give Cheetah Girls a pass on it because I love the Cheetah Girls so much. But... <laughs> But all of these, I mean, my main criticism of the girl power aesthetic has always been that, like, the sentence itself, not a problem with it. Yes, gr mm -hmm. girls should have more power than they do, and they should be empowered by themselves and by each other and by the people around them. Uh, but to me, the message underneath that girl power message is that the way to get power is by being complicit in capitalism and participating in it as thoroughly mm -hmm. and as heavily as you can, which is also baked into what the Cheetah Girls are and what their aspirations are. It's like they want to succeed through capitalism. Right. Obviously, it's like... We <laughs> the cheetah like we're i'm not asking the cheetah girls to be a, a socialist text like <laughs> it's fine as is but just that overarching like we talk i think we started talking about it in our spice girls episode like three years ago at this point mm -hmm. but that it's like i agree with what they're saying but how much is actually done through the actions i think that the cheetah girls are certainly doing a lot more than spice world was um <laughs> but not as much as josie and the pussycats Exactly. Like if, if we're talking about the spectrum of, you know, how much a uh, franchise is challenging. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats is the best movie ever. Join, join the, the army. army. Join the yeah. army, baby. <laughs> Kayla's got the shirt. Yes. Thank you, Jamie. Because Jamie mom. bought it for me. And my mom. I have two of the same shirt. <laughs> that means two people know you very well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that that's, I mean, but it's I, capitalism is baked into the cheetah girls to such a comical degree that it's kind of funny because their names are galleria and chanel like they are <laughs> mm -hmm. embodying it and i feel like especially the books dorinda presents uh kind of an, an oppositional force and a bit of a challenge to that mindset which she sort of does in the movie as well but yeah i don't know i'm never gonna like 2000s girl power and partially because i deeply resent it mm-hmm <laughs> It's a tough thing to reckon with because you do, yeah. again, want girls to have more power and do sort of want to implant just the seed of the idea that like, hey, mm -hmm. girls, you can be in NYU math classes and be <laughs> yeah. good at STEM. But it's also like, how are you then going to use that? 
it's it's about what you do with the tools that you're given Mm -hmm. and right now they're just like let's use these tools to help build the capitalist machine ding ding what are are you gonna do with the buckets of ducats once you've acquired the buckets of ducats gallery yeah are you going to redistribute Redistribute things redistribute the ducats the ducats (laughs) but yeah i mean like in this song cinderella I think some of the lyrics are, I can slay my own dragons. I can dream my own dreams. My knight in shining armor is me. So, so I'm going to set me free. I don't want to be like Cinderella sitting in a dark old dusty cellar. Wow. It's so good. <laughs> That's not a Cheetah Girls original, BT Dubs. Oh, really? Another group, uh, I think it like is some European group also recorded that song prior to the film and then they repackaged it as a cheetah girl song for the movie hmm. i cannot remember the name of the group offhand Unreal. i thought that galleria wrote cinderella as she claims in the film i know yeah also there was i was like <laughs> oh no there's authorship issues that never bodes well for a group no it does not yeah. i guess the last thing i wanted to talk about was um galleria we've like alluded to this heavily so maybe it won't even be a very long discussion but Galleria and her mom, uh, Dorothea, uh, mm-hmm. and I am just now connecting Dorothea and Toto. Okay, Jamie. Uh, oh, got it. I, I, nope, didn't make that connection either. Uh, yeah, no, and they love the they love the Wizard of Oz, and yes. there's the scene right before Toto goes down into the hole, which maybe is Toto's own version of Oz. Who's to say? <gasps> where um, where Galleria is like bummed because of the global get down thing, and Dorothea's like, well, maybe we'll just go home and watch your favorite movie. And she's like, I don't know if the Wizard of Oz can solve this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember really liking that because yeah, it was my favorite movie when I was a kid. Uh, but Dorothea, I, I used to be more like, I feel like it's it's interesting. I, I want to like give props to Deborah. And I also want to give props to Allison on the way that this character is written in the movie. Because it, like, I feel like there's multiple reads on her. Like, when I saw her when I was a kid, I was definitely like, oh, okay, this is, like, a parent who is going to be withholding from their kid who wants to do something cool. Like, I've seen this character. I get it. But when you revisit this character, as like we were saying, it's like, oh, you totally understand why she's like she's protecting Galleria that wasn't she wasn't just saying that she she meant it yeah I mean Mm -hmm. she was looking at this contract and Jocko was like standard contract she crosses out several (laughs) subsections of the contract looks at him and says standard revisions which I was just like yes bitch because she's like she's like a famous fashion designer she would know all about this shit and she would be really like you know like rightfully skeptical and she would know this whole world and like it just i was very team dorothea on this watch mm-hmm. she really cares about her kid i also thought it was really badass that she was so mean to jackal the second she met him like <laughs> maybe a little bit too mean, but like she i don't know i don't care but it, like it was she was so aggressively mean and then gallery was like you don't know who jackal johnson is and then she named 500 facts about him she's like i do know who he is i just I don't read. respect him yeah i read yeah, she said i read and i'm like yes you do mom <laughs> yes you do <laughs> Um, yeah, I, love I mean, hearkening back to like our Xenon episode on the Matreon where we had a big problem with the way the like Xenon's parents were treated in that like her mother was this like hysterical woman who has to put on a stress helmet and then but her dad yeah. is like the cool dad who like gets her and like is chill and re- 
relaxed. And I think they're on the on the very surface there is a similar dynamic here in that like you have a, a concerned mother and then a chiller dad, but I feel like it was handled way better here because you understand where the mother is coming from. She's not presented nearly as much as being this like hysterical, like shrew mom who's like, no, like she's looking out for her daughter. She knows stuff. She knows how music is recorded. She knows about contracts. She comes in very informed and um, she's also just like characterized beyond we we get to know more about her character that like contextualizes why she's so like concerned for her daughter and right. like her daughter's friends and stuff. So I liked that. I always get a little. I mean, there was a little bit of cool dad daddery going on here, mm-hmm. where the yeah. dad is the one that was like, "Come on, like it would be fun if we let her do the thing." And mm-hmm. but I but I did appreciate that you get something you don't get in Xenon, which is a little like look at what their relationship dynamic is. You get like a sweet moment with them that doesn't seem particularly aggressive to either character and you almost like so I was more lenient towards the way that results it wasn't just like dads of course as we know are way cooler than moms and that's why this is happening like you get a look at she gets to speak her piece say why she doesn't agree with it the dad gets to speak his piece and then they make a compromise so I was like okay this isn't the worst way that I've seen this play out in like a Disney movie Mm-hmm. And it felt like both parents were coming from a place of wanting Galleria to be happy and healthy, mm-hmm. which I appreciated because the dad wasn't just like, oh, let her have fun. He was like, she has this dream. This can maybe help her achieve this dream. Mm-hmm. And there's never going to be a point at which she is not going to want to achieve this dream. But if it falls apart now, we are here to help support her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's important that we be here to help support her. So I thought that that was a really interesting take on it where he's like, I'm not just fun dad. I am fun dad who also wants to be able to support her when this may not work out because that happens. And Mm -hmm. she has her first situation where it doesn't work out and we're here. So she knows that the next time how to handle it better. Right. Which is logic I can basically follow. I was like, okay, (laughs) dad has maybe not the point I agree with most, but a point. Sure. And then they didn't just go into it willy nilly. It was like both parents came together. It's like, okay, so we are going to let you do this because this is your dream. But I'm going to go with you as your mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make sure that you don't fall behind in your grades or anything like that. Like there are conditions. You have to wash a dish. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget the capers at the store. (laughs) Don't put your dog in a hole, et cetera. Yeah, I really, I mean, it's, I originally was skeptical of that, but now even as we're talking it out, I'm like, you know what, I think it's actually fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dog in the hole? The dog the in the dog hole. The dog in the hole is <laughs> I was like, no, fine. Maybe, you know, maybe they should have left him there. He was in Oz. <laughs> there, I will never get over that. I watched that, I must have rewound that 500 times of the firefighter being like, Sing faster. Sing faster. faster. It's working. It's working. Wait. Okay. Sorry. If the whole is Oz, the director of this movie is Oz Scott. (gasps) The connections keep coming. Makes you think. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Is this funded by the Illuminati? Do we think (laughs) that? Yeah, I think we can pretty definitively say that. Yeah. 
100%. And recently we did find out that Beyonce, a.k.a. Backstabba in uh, Karma's Children, is secretly Italian. And oh Galleria is God. half what? That Italian. news item was so... One of the messiest news items of the year. <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> Truly. Messier than the global pandemic is the... <laughs> would be member of the house of legislature who's like did you know that beyonce is secretly italian she's not even black don't listen to any of her pro-black rhetoric because she is scamming you all it exploded my brain they're like she's working for the meatball lobby just the spaghetti <laughs> like you're just like what are you talking about oh so much so much <laughs> um yeah, did, did, does anyone have anything else? I think that was all I had. Those are all my main things. Most importantly, uh, how do they make the realistic growling sounds in the handshake? I think we went into that. It was mm. a copy-paste. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is a line <laughs> that we have not talked about that I just Ooh. think, it hold, I hold it very near to my heart, which is after a history test. Um, oh, I also think this is important. Uh, Galleria calls a cheetah girl study session. So they are about yeah. you know supporting academically as well. But uh, they talked about the Louisiana Purchase. And Chanel says, are you sure the Louisiana Purchase had nothing to do with gumbo? And I'm just like, ooh, Mrs. Almanac truly has failed you. That was what she had to go to talk to Mrs. Almanac about. Like, Like, how would anybody buy gumbo for $15 million? What's the deal with that? (laughs) That was the actual price of the Louisiana Purchase. I was in a musical Ooh. about the Louisiana Purchase, so I remember many fun facts about it. Oh, my God. Yes, at 10, not recently. <laughs> you gotta go into and tell Galleria, she, or not Galleria, Chanel, she was... That was another... There were so many, like... Like I mean, it's it's a service. It's it's like an homage to the book, but the quippy lines that pop up are just... They're so funny, and they're so weird and there's a really good one that i like sorry there's also a dog my new neighbor got a very yippy dog uh toto is it in a hole it's in a hole and it's it's yipping very loudly right now so my apologies (laughs) for that but there's one line that i my favorite line in the entire movie is when um chanel shows up at dorinda's apartment and this is like her discovery of like her you know living in like the supers apartment kind of thing and dorinda says oh if i would have known you were coming over i would have been rich and lived somewhere else and it's like that is very funny you should be a comedian (laughs) and speaking of comedians oh my gosh okay so there's the one of the guys in the talent show is this male comedian who's talking about like he's doing a bird impression and um dying the cheetah girls are like he's so funny they love it it doesn't (laughs) seem that funny but my favorite part about that is drinka is like okay you've gone over your three minutes like stop now like a a male comedian's trying to go over his time Mm -hmm. and she's and drinka's having none of it she's like nope you're done now always leave him wanting more it's fine (laughs) i liked that there i just when they cut to the cheetah girls losing it being like oh my god he's so random like you're just like oh (laughs) fully triggered by the by this open this 17 year old open micer <laughs> just another fun behind the scenes fact keely williams uh later in her career released a song i don't know if either of you have heard of it or seen the music video for it 
It's called Spectacular, and the original video has been taken down, I believe, but it's still up there in many facets, and it is wildly different than you would think based on her past music. Um, really? If you've never seen it, check it out. I mean, the chorus of the song goes, the sex was spectacular. Well, the sex <laughs> was spectacular. Oh, Katie. ah, ah, ah. Oh, wow. there are little like, oh, sounds that are <laughs> delicious. <laughs> oh, post Disney music careers. That has to be someone's like doctoral thesis. There's <laughs> there's just so much to be found. It's, so it's good. ripe. It is a field ripe for study. And it was kind of controversial when it came out. People were like, Keely's gone wild. And uh, I think at this point it was like 10 or 12 years ago. So it's been a while. But in college, that was one of my favorite videos. I would watch uh-huh. it at least once a month because I was just like, ah, oh, this is crazy. The Look, sex it's was aqua. spectacular. <laughs> Check it out. Let me know what you think. As far as sex songs go, that is like a pretty polite thing to say (laughs) that the sex was spectacular she's using like you know a a 25 cent word to describe the sex (laughs) (laughs) it was yeah it was a plus sex according to to keely she's like gotta gotta pull up the thesaurus and see how else (laughs) to describe this (laughs) but yeah that's my last thing i wanted to say i just needed everyone to know about spectacular No, I I appreciate that. Uh, So as far as the Bechtel test, um, does the Cheetah Girls pass the Bechtel test? Every, almost every second of the movie. Yeah, constantly. I don't think they mention men as existing for like a solid three and a half minutes, which is, Mm -hmm. I think, the longest I've ever seen a movie go without mentioning a man in the Mm -hmm. opening of it. And when they do talk about men, it's generally a reference to Jackal, and it still is at least, even when it doesn't pass, it's usually still tangentially about their careers. Right. Which, yeah, yeah, this I, I think might be like one of the most Bechdel test passing movies we have ever done. I would agree. It passes the Duvernay test. It passes the Duvernay test. It, um, I think it might not pass the reverse spectral test in which I don't think men or boys, Mackerel and Derek do talk to each other, but I feel like they're always, they do. they're talking either about the girls or they're talking to the girl. Like their interactions are very few and far between on screen. Mm-hmm. So and like, usually connected to the girls. Yeah. And usually connected to the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing that now I'd like to think that maybe, Mackerel's orthodontist is a woman also. So even when he's mm-hmm. in his yes. famous line, <laughs> he's talking about a woman. Hell yeah. Oh, now I have the sex was spectacular, a song I've never heard stuck in my head. You're welcome. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it does super pass the test. It does it so seamlessly too, where I feel like sometimes when movies pass the Bechtel test, they really like all but break the fourth wall to be like, are you happy? Um, (laughs) But this is a great, I mean, Deborah Gregory has built a world that is so centered on female characters and their ambitions and their dreams and their conflicts that it like, it's just seamless. It's just built into Mm -hmm. what this world is. Which brings us to our nipple scale um, in which we examine how the movie fares from an intersectional lens on a scale of zero to five nipples. And I would say there's a lot to consider here. 
because, you know, you have the issue with the Dorinda character being whitewashed from the book-to-movie adaptation, which is upsetting. On the other hand, of the characters who you're rooting for, who get the most screen time and dialogue and narrative significance, they are predominantly Black and Latinx women. Yeah. And the fact that it's, by and large, a story about female friendship female creative expression, like women making art and entertainment. Are they too concerned with capitalism? Yes. <laughs> but they're also 15, so maybe they'll grow out of it? And, you know, like, same thing with Galleria becoming really mean the second she gets a taste of fame. She doesn't handle it well, but again, she's 15. And then she learns. Mm -hmm. And then she learns and she, she understands that the important thing is her friendship with these other girls. And that's mm -hmm. the resolution of the story. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it, that the, that the movie, the story um, centers around the, the female friendship. I think that there is a shortage of that in media directed to children, especially to young girls. So I, I appreciate that. Um, there's a few, you know, the issues that we've talked about, like the the weird romantic subplot with the kid being an asshole. I guess I'd give it like a four still, I think. Four nipples. And I'll give one to each cheetah girl. <laughs> I want to go four as well. I was really pleasantly surprised at just on revisiting the books a little bit as well and just kind of like resurfacing all this old unused cheetah girls canon information that i had inside of my head of how much on the rewatch i did find that it was generally um true to the spirit of the books it was less disneyfied than i expected again this is like some qualifying language of like wow i thought that disney would have really fucked it up like they have <laughs> fucked up other franchises um but in, in general, I think that especially, and I guess just jumping off what you're saying, Caitlin, I was happy to see that the behind the scenes team was uh, mostly black artists and people of color. I was really glad that Deborah Gregory was involved in a meaningful way and it really shows. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's a predominantly um, non-white cast, really the only to well i guess with dorinda i guess she is a, a white coated character um but it mm -hmm. is a, a all the all the authority figures that you see that you love are uh are non-white characters and then there's jackal who is evil uh <laughs> there there's just like so much that this movie is doing right in 2003 that most movies in 2003 weren't doing right so it definitely has its issues and i think that all of these issues can basically be boiled down to the Disneyfication elements that did get through, the whitewashing, the forced-in uh, love story that doesn't really belong there. Um, mm -hmm. But all things considered, I feel like it it was, and it was a huge hit, which again is just, it makes it extremely apparent that the representation that this movie offers, even though it is not in no way perfect, was very wanted and, and very needed, and it became this super successful franchise until Raven left. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to give it four. I still really enjoy this movie. Cinderella is a great song, and I'll give, I'll give, uh, I don't want to be mean to Dorinda, but I'm going to give... <laughs> One to every cheetah girl but Dorinda and then give that nipple to Drinka. 
Sorry, Dorinda. <laughs> oh, good call. Yay, Dorinda. I thought you were going to give it to Angie because I know you're a big Angie stand. Angie, I mm. well, oh yes, Angie. Uh, Angie can share a nipple with Drinka. When she's so quiet, she's, she's <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't request more than half a nipple. <laughs> I couldn't hear her. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I think that I like Jamie. Came back at the movie and was surprised by how much I liked it and how much more I liked it, especially as an adult. What really I get caught on is, I mean, the whitewashing is something and the just rampant capitalism and non-addressing of classism and class issues that happen. I mean, that one scene with Galleria where she's like, you need to change the way you dress. And she harps on the way that Dorinda dresses in a couple of scenes. And that Mm -hmm. for me was just like unchecked classism part like Mm -hmm. just to a level that is unbelievable even for a teenager (laughs) that is kind Mm -hmm. of not really resolved between them either right yeah so that that takes it a little bit down on the nipple scale for me but again i am very pro one also showing interracial families and these blended Mm -hmm. families and non-traditional families where um they do have a single parent and it's not like the second parent is dead because that is a huge Disney thing where it's like, if it's Mm going to be a single parent, the other one's dead. Divorce Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. You die or you're there. (laughs) So um, (laughs) that's really great for me. And uh, I feel like I'm going to give it three and a half nipples. I'm going to give it the lowest on the nipple scale so far because (laughs) that the, the classism really does get me. And that's, I think such Mm -hmm. an important aspect of intersectionality. And a lot of people mm-hmm. focus on the race aspect, but class, I think, is so intertwined with that, too, and gener- generational wealth For sure. and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, three and a half nipples. But I really came into it looking at rewatching it for this episode. I was like, I'm only going to give it like a nipple, maybe right. half a nipple. And I was just like, oh, actually, maybe three, maybe four, somewhere in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it is a well-deserved and earned three and a half nipples. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think if I were to rate it on like how much do I enjoy watching this movie or how well do I think this screenplay is written, no, I would give it far lower. <laughs> I would give it I'd give it Sorry. ten million. I'd give it maybe like why is the climax about a dog in a hole? Sometimes dogs go into holes, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> on a screenwriting nipple scale, I would give it like two nipples. But uh, there there is there's and more payoff. to it. Pre- it's the Chekhovian dog in a hole. Uh, I will say for me I think screenwriting definitely lower nipples no disrespect to Allison it is a monumental task to have to adapt and also to have to adapt a series of books it's not just Mm -hmm. one story it's several stories and they do tread into territory I think from the first three or four books so that is impressive but it didn't quite track especially if you hadn't read the books uh, mm-hmm. from an enjoyment nipple scale, I'd give it more nipples. I enjoyed it just objectively yeah. as something I could watch on a Saturday night. Even as a grown up, I'm like, this is good. This is very good. It made me homesick. I was like, just mm-hmm. thinking of all my like childhood friends when I was watching that. I was like, oh, it was a simpler time. Yes. The nostalgia is strong. It really is. Yeah. 
Uh, but there, but as we will find out in uh, as we continue t- into our Matreon episodes about decons, uh, the person the the uh, important character in whole is a is a common decom convention because in Caitlin, weren't you saying <laughs> at the climax of Cadet Kelly, Cadet it's Kelly, dad in yes. hole, not dog dad in hole. falls. It's less of a hole. He falls off a cliff. Oh, that I don't remember falls that into, now. He I falls, don't remember that. There's a falling thing, and that is also the climax of Cadet Kelly. No, I do remember the Cadet Kelly cliff thing. I remember the ribbons more. <laughs> the ribbons were a big thing. I was mm-hmm. like, I could ribbon dance. I cannot. I cannot do any dancing. Is it ribbons? Aren't they very f- clear. flinging guns around? They're like toy rifles. The, but then they replace rifles with ribbons, and that's feminism. Uh, oh. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. It's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> early 2000s they really had it figured out back then (laughs) Uh, i i wonder if there is like a style guide that if you're hired to write a decom they're like if you're getting stuck here's what we would do are you having (laughs) trouble in the third act put someone in a hole just toss them somewhere yeah have someone fall and almost die (laughs) i was just watching an episode of so weird which was a disney channel show um yes and there was an episode where fee goes missing and she does fall off a cliff and then is in a cave which is just a very large horizontal hole that's true they're really just going for it with that she's saved by bigfoot so that's the so weird aspect of it oh that show is really fun i don't remember anything about it except that i liked it it's on disney plus you should rewatch it oh okay all right well krama thank you so much for being here thank you so much <laughs> this for was so much fun Yay. what a wild what a wild time we've had um where where can people follow your stuff and find you online okay if you want to follow me please just do it on the internet not in real life because that's creepy (laughs) but uh, i'm at karama drama k-o-r-a-m-a drama on all platforms and by all i mean instagram and uh twitter because i am very afraid of tiktok i am not cool and hip and with it uh I think that it's super cool and there's so much stuff on it that's interesting. They have conspiracy theorists. They have like life hackers. They have Mm -hmm. education stuff and like alternative education and counter education. But I am very intimidated by all of the dancing and the editing that happens. And I just. Oh, yeah. I love to watch other people's TikToks. I just have no idea how to produce my own content there. TikTok, I finally understand why there were all these weird people. Like I used to think people who were on Twitter that were just an egg and never said anything were so Mm -hmm. weird. But I'm like, (laughs) oh, that's literally me on TikTok. That's what I do. (laughs) I just look at stuff and I say nothing. Mm -hmm. I feel like Twitter, though, it's weirder because everybody on Twitter knows words. Like on TikTok, (laughs) to create content, there's a lot that goes into it in terms of like Mm -hmm. mise-en-scene and all of that stuff, you know? Like I have a theater degree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of twitter and social media you can follow us there at Bechtelcast. you can subscribe to our patreon aka matreon it's five dollars a month it's two bonus episodes every month plus access to our entire back catalog there is a siren happening behind me and um you can go to patreon.com slash for access to that yeah you can uh get our all of our merch over at tpublic.com slash the Bechdel cast. We have masks. I just saw someone wearing a sexy baby Grinch mask and I regretted <laughs> oh, yeah. every choice I've ever made in my whole life. Uh, queer icon, baby Grinch. Queer icon, baby love Grinch. baby Grinch. Uh, so uh, that is something you could do if you so choose. And mm-hmm. someone in fact did it. 
um yeah we'll see you on the matreon we'll see you on the main feed and thank you for being here karama this was so much fun i yes. please i would love to come back whenever you're <gasps> come back willing anytime. and ready to have yes. me again absolutely <laughs> anytime anytime and this is the point where <laughs> caitlin would it be the most annoying thing if at the end you just edited in a really loud cheetah girl oh, cheetah wow. sound effect <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll do my best, and and if if I manage it, it's gonna go right here. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies, so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.